Good morning. And welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church on this very frigid cold day that the Lord has given to us. A great day nonetheless where we can come and gather around his word and sacrament and uh, rejoice in the good gifts that we have from him. It's now the second Sunday after the Epiphany and you are probably thinking, well, Pastor, isn't Epiphany, Epiphany normally a green season? And yes, it is. It's just it's so cold the pyramids froze. So we're still white this morning. Uh, but in all seriousness, that's just a little uh, bad pastor joke. Um, we have a very short season this year. We celebrated the baptism of Jesus last Sunday. We'll have the transfiguration already next Sunday, and then we'll move right into the pre-Lent season of those Jesma Sundays. So this Sunday kind of represents the one sort of unique miracle of Jesus that we usually see during the Epiphany season, and that is the uh, miracle of the wedding at Cana, which we'll hear about this day. But before we get into the texts for the day properly, I'll turn your attention to the back of your bulletin where we have a section of Luther's small catechism there as we're following our lumbermans through uh, the catechism and their memory work this, this uh, year. So then, the Lord's Prayer, the fifth petition. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them, but we ask that he would give them all to us by grace. For we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Well, as we look to the service proper, I'll have you now open your bulletin to the inside of the back cover, where we have that focused on Christ section, the summary of our readings in today's service. The coming of the Messianic kingdom means the restoration of creation. The sign of this restoration is that the mountains shall drip sweet wine. When the elements of fallen creation fail and run short at a wedding feast, our Lord Jesus steps in to restore creation and miraculously changes water in an, into an abundance of the very best wine. With this sign, Christ manifests his glory. The back of God is revealed to those who believe. The hour will come when Jesus will again manifest his glory by taking creation's curse into his own body to release us from its power. The bridegroom will give his life for the bride. And from his side will flow water and blood, the holy sacraments by which she is cleansed and made one with him. Through the sacrificial love of Christ, we are enabled to love one another with brotherly affection and to outdo one another in showing honor. As we do rejoice to receive the very best wine of our Lord's blood, even as he gives it with us, or gives it to us in and under wine and also uh, his body as the feast, we rejoice in that good gift. And we gather also in the unity of confession as our Lord bids us being united not just in our confession about the supper, but also what we believe on the whole as Christians. Therefore, we ask all those joining us at the altar this day to be members of this congregation or of a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, joining us in that one orthodox confession of the Christian faith. Before us today is Divine Service Setting 3. As it begins on page 184, we'll now sing the first hymn. Almighty and everlasting God, who governs all things in heaven and on earth, mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace through all our days. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. 
The Old Testament reading for the second Sunday after the Epiphany is from Exodus chapter 33. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you the name, my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel is from St. John, the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. 
When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Praise we him whose love divine gives his sacred blood for wine, gives his body for the feast, Christ the victim, Christ the priest, alleluia. These words from the hymn, at the Lamb's High Feast we sing, they give us valuable insight into Jesus' miracle at Cana, which he worked some 2,000 years ago. It is a familiar and, on the surface, simple-to-understand miracle, right? Jesus and his disciples are invited to a wedding, the bride and groom, they run out of wine, and by his divine power, Jesus supplies an immense quantity of the most exquisite wine one can imagine. Done, right? And yet, there is more going on here. So, so much more. St. John tells us this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Folks, if we examine this sign of Jesus in light of the whole Bible, we see that Jesus is the divine bridegroom who has come bearing heavenly gifts for his bride, the church. There is much to sip and to savor in this gospel lesson today, so let's get going, shall we? First, I want to give you some helpful context. God loves marriage. From the dawning days of creation, marriage has been a part of God's good order for the world. God formed Adam from the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. When a suitable helper was not found for Adam among the animals, God caused a deep sleep to fall over the man, took a rib from Adam's side, and formed Eve. And do you remember, dear saints, what Adam said when the Lord presented Eve to him? He said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now that verse of the Bible is actually poetry. It is prose, which could be sung. Only then, after God created Eve and gave her to Adam, did God declare that everything was, as well you know, very good, right? Throughout the Bible, in both the Old and New Testaments, God pictures his relationship to his church as a marriage. From the prophet Isaiah, we hear this. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. And then, of course, there's that beautiful passage from Ephesians 5, which we heard just earlier in the service. And towards the end of that reading, St. Paul says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, he says. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So then, it should not surprise us that Jesus, the bridegroom of the church, comes on the third day to a wedding. He comes to celebrate it with his mother and disciples. He comes to bless the couple and their guests in a way which no one could imagine. 
Dear saints, he comes to bless us beyond our imagining this day also. But first, let's take a look at that wedding in Cana, shall we? St. John tells us, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, when you hear third day, it is not wrong to think of Christ's resurrection. Now, sure, chronologically it hadn't happened yet, but... We have to understand that St. John wrote his gospel around 80 or 90 AD. This, this was well known among Christendom. So when reading the Bible, it's okay to see and pick up on these images and themes and events that you know from the whole of God's word. As long as your mind does not lead you astray from pure doctrine, you can follow the biblical themes and images. Jesus is the bridegroom of the church who will, after his crucifixion, be raised in glory on the third day. All right? Keep that in mind. The account continues. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, if the wine runs out at your wedding, that's a big problem. If this happens at a first-century Jewish wedding, it's especially embarrassing and problematic because the wedding celebrations, well, they lasted seven days. That's a lot of wine. So when the wine ran out at Cana, Jesus' mother brings the problem to him. And from Mary here, we learn two important things. First, notice that she doesn't tell Jesus exactly how he's going to fix the problem. She just simply tells him what her concerns are. This is a great guide for us in prayer. This is a practical note. Don't tell God how to fix your problems. He knows best. Instead, simply lay the problem before him, give it over to him, and trust him to do what is best. This is, by the way, part of why he teaches us to pray, thy will be done. Second, Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. This is godly advice for us all. Would that every Christian would hear Christ's word and do whatever he tells you, right? Now, let's look at that response that Jesus gives to Mary. When he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? Jesus is not being disrespectful, but he is distancing himself from his mother. Why? Well, Jesus is now 30 years old. His public ministry has begun. He's been baptized by John in the Jordan. We celebrated that just last Sunday. He's been tempted by the devil in the wilderness and come out victorious. He's called his first disciples. In other words, Jesus has formally begun doing what he must to win back his bride, the church, from sin, death, and the devil. Remember St. Paul's words earlier in the service? Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, St. Paul says, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Watch the themes and the images. Jesus is telling his mother that he and he alone will do what is necessary to save his bride, the church. It has nothing to do with her efforts, everything to do with him. He also says, my hour has not yet come. He was talking about the cross. That is when, where, and how Jesus will save his bride from sin, death, and Satan. Do you see it, folks? There's a lot going on in the background of this simple wedding and supposedly simple miracle. But speaking of that miracle, let's take a look at that. St. John continues, Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Let's talk about those water jars, shall we? 
These water jars were for ritual hand washing. There was, this was something that was prescribed by the Jewish rabbis, not the law of Moses. It was taught that stone jars could not contain impurities, thus they were used for ritual cleansing. Very likely the water was sort of ladled out onto the hands from these jugs, these jars, in order to clean them. And notice also that there were six of them. Now, I don't often talk about numerology in sermons, but this is worth spending a moment on. In the Bible, we know that seven is the number of God. It represents wholeness and holiness. The number six, well, it falls short of seven. Six wants to be seven, but it's not. This is why six is an unholy number. You get three of them together, and that's the number typically associated with Satan. Therefore, pulling this together, Jesus takes these six large jars of water used to purify hands according to man-made tradition, and he changes their purpose completely. What once was a picture of man's efforts to purify himself by his own works, yet we fall short of purifying our hearts and souls, now these become the vessels that the divine bridegroom Jesus will use not only to bless this young couple and their guests, but to give us, the church, a picture of how Christ generously blesses his bride with his body and soul saving grace, even the heavenly wine of his blood, which does purify our hearts and souls completely. Again, I'll point you to St. Paul in order to make this connection. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, that's make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Jesus' devotion to you, his church, was such that he came to us in the flesh in order to save us by the crucifixion of his flesh and rising on the third day. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And it is in holy baptism, the washing of water with the word, that we are connected to Christ's death and resurrection. So then, let's get back to Cana. St. John tells us, so they, the servants, took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine First, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. You see, the master of the feast was in charge of making sure that everything was done properly, that the guests were taken care of, everyone's comfortable and happy. Having tasted this exquisite wine, this very best of wine, and not knowing where it came from, the master of the feast, he calls for the bridegroom. From what we can glean from both history and what's going on in the scripture passage, this gentleman, the master of the feast, he's perplexed, and at minimum, he's annoyed. In this way, the master of the feast becomes an antagonist, a Satan figure of this account, if you will. He criticizes the bridegroom's generosity, his messing up the, of the social etiquette, and his chief complaint is that this beautiful wine is wasted on these people. Why? Because they've, well, to put it nicely, already had too much to drink. Well, without knowing it, the master of the feast is actually criticizing Jesus, the divine bridegroom. Think about it. This is how Satan operates, dear saints. Jesus is generous to poor, miserable sinners like you and like me. We don't deserve anything of his love, his mercy, and forgiveness, and yet he lavishes it upon us. We deserve death and hell, 
and the wrath of God over our sin, and we deserve it right now. Instead, Christ Jesus pours out his forgiveness and his mercy until our cup runs, overflows onto our laps and on the floor of the wedding hall around us. Just like the wedding guests at Cana, we are unable to comprehend God's goodness to us in Christ Jesus, his son. Our senses are numbed to just how wicked we truly are. And yet, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom of the church, gives of himself completely, pouring out his blood on the cross that we might be cleansed, that we might be redeemed and completely forgiven of our sins. And God be praised, so we are. Such is Christ's devotion to you, dear saints of God, dear church of God. Now, the immense quantity of wine at Cana which kind of roughly comes out to between 720 and 1,080 bottles worth of wine, is a picture of Christ's immense grace that he shows to us, his cleansed and redeemed bride. So also the unparalleled quality of the wine at Cana points us to Christ's priceless blood shed for us on the cross. Remember the hymn stanza that I shared with you at the beginning of the sermon? Praise we him whose love divine gives his sacred blood for wine. Dear saints, the sign at Cana was no happenstance. This was not a situation where it's like, oh, hey, they ran out of wine. Come on, do something quick. No, no, no. Jesus knew what was going to happen. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. In this miracle, Jesus revealed his glory, yes, as the Son of God, but he also revealed that he is the divine bridegroom who has come bearing heavenly gifts for his bride, the church. Now, folks, whatever sinful thing you may have thought, spoken, or done in your life, there is forgiveness and grace for you in Christ Jesus. Repent and receive his overflowing grace. Now, the devil, the world, and your own sinful flesh are going to resist, saying, no way. Do you see how gross you are? How unfaithful you are to Jesus? He won't forgive you. His grace would be wasted on you. You are too far gone. Dear saints, don't believe the lies. Your sins are forgiven. Christ's blood has been shed for you. It is finished, accomplished, and fulfilled. His forgiveness is yours. You are God's redeemed and repentant people, his church, who cling to Christ Jesus as a bride holds fast to her husband. Now think back with me to Jesus' crucifixion for a moment. You see, when the soldier pierced his side, do you remember what happened? St. John tells us, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Blood and water. We're told that Christ cleansed his bride by water and the word. So also, Christ, whose love divine, gives his sacred blood for wine. Let me ask you, how did God bring you into his church? By washing you with water and the word. There's the water from his side. How does he feed you in this life until you reach eternal life? He gives his sacred blood for wine. There's the blood from his side. And he also gives his body as the feast. Now, let's make one last connection. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned when God formed Eve, he took a rib from Adam's side. Connect the images. Jesus is the second Adam. And from his pierced side, God brought forth his bride, the church, water, and the word. By these things you are made a Christian. Blood in his holy supper of Christ's body and blood. There, you are kept a Christian. So there you're born. And there he sustains you. God 
loves marriage. Jesus is the bridegroom of the church. By his crucifixion and resurrection, he saved you from sin, death, and from Satan. And now by water and the word, he's cleansed you of sin, made you his own, presenting you to himself using St. Paul's words in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And in his holy supper, he gives you a wine even finer than that served at Cana, even his own blood, for your forgiveness, life, and salvation. You see, dear saints, what today is a foretaste will be on the last day, the great and glorious wedding feast of the Lamb, which will have no end as Christ's bride goes with her second Adam, her husband, into that glorious wedding feast of the Lamb. Here again those words of the sermon hymn. Come join in what Cana's feast, where Christ is honored guest. He welcomes all who come to taste the wine his hands have blessed. The old wine now is gone from jars that stand apart. No longer can it satisfy the yearning, thirsting heart. But Christ, the word made flesh, bids water turn to wine. He fills our empty cups again with grace and truth divine. Come, friends, and share the feast. Here drink the wine supplied by him who is both guest and host for us, the crucified. For now he lives and reigns through all eternity with Father, Spirit, three in one, the glorious Trinity. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. To the Lord, who manifested his glory in the sign at Cana and restored creation through the shedding of Christ's blood, that he would give us joy and gladness in the revelation of his truth and the abundance of his grace, let us pray to the Lord. For the fallen churches of our fellowship, that their faith may be rebuilt and produce a holy resolve in the word of God, bringing forth fruit according to his will, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all pastors and church leaders, that they would be led like the servants at Cana to do as Christ instructs, that they would preach Christ's word with boldness, and that our Heavenly Father would provide for all their earthly needs, let us pray to the Lord. For the sacred vocations of husband and wife, let us give thanks to the Lord. And for boldness to stand out in this world, faithful to God's institution of marriage, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all the rulers of the world, that they may be turned to the obedience of faith. For all nations, that God would draw them under the cover of his church. And that the meek may not be tempted by the prosperity of the wicked, seeing that they will inherit the earth. Let us pray to the Lord. For those recovering and all who are in need, we especially pray for Mark Nolker, Pat Taney, Norma Horine, Vanessa Burmester, Charlotte Locke, Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips, that God would be the father of the lonely and forsaken, the helper of the sick and suffering, and the comforter of the distressed and sorrowful. Let us pray to the Lord. For those who approach the altar this day, that by the Holy Spirit they would receive the holy sacrament of Christ's very body and blood in faithful repentance and to their abundant blessing, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that of your grace you have instituted holy matrimony in which you keep us from unchastity and other offenses. We implore you, send your blessing on every husband and wife. Do not let them provoke one another to anger and strife. 
but let them live peaceably together in love and godliness. Strengthen them with your gracious help in all temptations and help them to rear their children in accordance with your will. Grant us all to walk before you in purity and holiness, putting our trust in you and leading such lives on earth that in the world to come we may have everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, again, welcome and good morning to you on this frosty, frosty morning. I've been talking with folks earlier before the service and it reminds me very much of the place where I came from before I was in Minnesota when we were in. Um, so this is, a, a, well, for some of us it might be a delight. For most of us it's just plain cold. Uh, but I'm thankful that you're all here this morning uh, to receive the Lord's word and gifts. As we look uh, ahead, uh, both today and in our um, uh, week to follow, of course, we have Sunday school and Bible study today. Uh, today in Sunday morning Bible study, we're going to begin our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, so we're just going to start tiptoeing our way through uh, that beautiful uh, Gospel, the first of the four Gospels. There's just a lot of interesting things there for the Lord to us to be uh, given to us by the Lord to behold. Um, also, this next Sunday, there's going to be a Higher Things Information meeting after adult Bible study. Uh, we need to get a head count of who all is going to come. Uh, there was, at last discussion, there was a, a, a chance that we might have some people going to one site and other people going uh, to another site, which is fantastic, right? If, we, you know, if anybody wants to go to Oregon, I guess we can always like, have like a third group, right? And we'll just uh, Trinity Norbert, little Trinity Norman, re represented all over uh, throughout all the Higher Things uh, conferences. Nonetheless, we'll have a meeting about that next Sunday. Uh, also, Esther Bible Study, uh, scheduled for tomorrow at 1.30 p.m., uh, we'll see if the weather affects that at all, but as of now, we're scheduled for 1.30 tomorrow at, uh, uh, for the Esther Bible Study. Lutheran Confession Study Group picks back up this Wednesday at 9 o'clock. And then just a reminder that our January Theology on Tap does return to the parsonage with the men on Tuesday, the women on Thursday, that being the 23rd and the 25th of this month. Also, flowers on the altar given to the glory of God and thanksgiving for Todd and Sharon Gibson's wedding anniversary. So we give thanks to God uh, for that. Anything that I might have missed? All right, if not, God's blessings uh, to you and to, as we go in through this cold week that the Lord has given us. And we can remember, I hope this isn't too cheesy, the warmth of his love. Uh, really, as we reflect on, on the fact that we together as the church are Christ's bride and we wait that glorious day of his appearing where he takes us to be with him forever uh, and to that eternal wedding feast uh, where the joy will have no end. God's peace be with you. I'll greet you back at the door. I might not open it today. Uh, so if you want to come back and say hi, you can greet me there. Uh, and I wouldn't uh, think anything at all if you actually just snuck out the side door this day. Uh, but do be safe in the cold. God's blessings to you.